This is The Camp with Zach Heilprin and the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Yes, welcome into The Camp. I'm Zach Heilprin. That's the Athletics' Jesse Temple. Badgers took care of business on Saturday, beating Rutgers 24-13. to It never felt like the game was any in any kind of danger. We'll get into all of it. Carter Hallman's big date. Tanner Mordecai using his legs to take care of things. Hunter Wohler leading them on defense and tackles once again. But, uh, Jesse, I think uh, probably just to start with, I was caught off guard a little bit, a little bit, when Luke Fickle said afterwards that they played a complete game. Would you agree that they played a complete game? I would not. Okay. <laughs> I have to disagree with that a little bit. Um I'm sure when they went back and watched the film, they saw plenty of things. A complete game to me in a matchup like this is utter domination. And while, as you said, the score, I mean, Wisconsin to me, it never felt like it was really going to lose, but they only won the game by, what, 11 points. And with less than a minute in the first half, Rutgers is driving down potentially to score a touchdown and cut the, the deficit to... 10 to seven. So it was a solid performance. I will certainly give Wisconsin that and any win is a good win. Rutgers was four and one, but I don't think it was a complete performance. And I think that there's a lot more out there for the Badgers to get here over the next seven regular season games in the big 10. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to focus on the negative stuff right away. Let's start with the positive stuff and yeah, let's start with Ricardo Holman is the play you just mentioned that he made the turn. What could have been a 10 or a 17 to uh, excuse me, a 10-3 game or a 10-7 game turned it into a 17 to nothing game with a, just a great play. And um, whenever I see, and I know a lot of people wrote, I know you did as well, wrote after the game about where he was at this time last year, right around this time last year. I believe it was October 15th when they went to Michigan State and lost the way that they did. And he was inconsolable after that game. I mean, you could see it with the guys after he gave up the touchdown to Jaden Reed, who just turns out to be a pretty freaking good player, uh, a second round pick of the Packers and playing a, a big role for them in as, as a rookie, but guys trying to pick him up and console him. And it was, it was very, very tough. And yet the next Monday he was obviously requested by everybody and he came out and he owned it. And he still was talking about his confidence level, still at a high level, but we never really saw him again last year in, in a big role. And then come this year, come spring ball has a great spring practice has a great fall camp and now it's turning into what we've seen on the field four interceptions including you know three in these last two weeks and he made what was clearly the play of the game on saturday he did that's what luke fickle said after the game he called it the difference in the ball game and i was talking to james thompson jr about it and he said it was in his opinion at least probably the loudest he's heard camp randall stadium now he hasn't been here for the glory days but it was a massive moment in that game. Like I mentioned before, Rutgers is looking like it's about to score a touchdown. Potentially they're at the, they're inside the 10 and to go from that situation to now it's 17 to nothing with four seconds left in the first half, the game is essentially over. It would have taken a, a masterful second half performance by Rutgers to actually win that thing. But it does say a lot about Ricardo's consistency and perseverance since that time. And, I think that's noteworthy, especially in a in an era where we're in that transfer portal era, where as soon as something doesn't go right for guys, and we've seen it here at Wisconsin, they opt to leave. You mentioned he, that Michigan State game, so he started the first seven games, and then the next week was Purdue. This was also around the time that Alexander Smith was finally able to get healthy, but Smith started instead of Hallman against Purdue. Hallman played three snaps. Then he didn't take a single defensive snap over the last four regular season games. He ended up starting in that guaranteed rate ball win against Oklahoma State. But I asked him whether he thought about transferring, and he said no, never. He, he loves this place. He was committed to his teammates and to Wisconsin, and he knew what his ceiling was. And so all he did was go back to work. You talked about that Monday. He faced it with reporters. Teammates have been really impressed with how he handled that situation, and it's amazing what he's been able to do because he said he watched the Michigan state game before this season started because he wanted to get that feeling, see what he did wrong 
And he told himself, I never want to be that player who loses a game for us. And it's been the exact opposite this year. He's been phenomenal. He's got four interceptions, leads the Big Ten. I think Pro Football Focus just put out a graphic that he had the the top coverage grade in college football over the weekend. So he's been absolutely phenomenal. He has. He doesn't really, if we're being fair, doesn't really fit the mold of the type of cornerback that this defense usually uses, right? I mean, he's not a big, long guy, but... I was I even thought last year it wasn't that he wasn't in position to make plays. He was. He was right with Jaden Reed. He I mean the one I mean the the first overtime touchdown where I believe he came up and tried to just let his guy run by him on the what was that the a running oh it was the the wide receiver uh pass, wasn't it? Yeah, I know it was a cover yeah, it was a coverage breakdown. I know that somebody got open on the back end. Well, I mean, it wasn't it, it was his coverage breakdown because I remember yes. asking Jim Leonard about it the next week, what he was supposed to do. But that said, like outside of that, the other plays in that game, he was right there and he just didn't make it. And I think we've kind of talked about that this offseason during the offseason that he was always in the position to make the play. Now it's about making them. And so far he's making them. But that play that he made on Saturday was a mix of really good instincts. And obviously, I think uh, Luke Fickle talked about it, that there was something similar that uh, that they ran the previous week. So it is a little bit of film study as well. Really, really poor decision by Gavin Wimsett. But that yeah. said, that said, great play by him. And uh, it's not just obviously the, the physical, it's the mental aspect of it too. Right. A couple other things I want to mention about that uh, sequence and, and Holman's story. And you, you talked about it. One thing I enjoy about covering Luke Fickle here is he will give you information that you wouldn't otherwise know about and after the fact, but th- that's fine. W- what they saw specific situations. And so I went back and looked and there was a play in the first quarter, previous Rutgers previous game against Wagner. It was identical. Essentially the, the slot receiver, Christian Dremel, he ran the out route, caught a touchdown pass and so because of the way Wisconsin was able to study the film, Hallman recognized that as it was happening, when his man went inside, he was lined up next to Preston Zachman and he told him to switch. And because of that film study, he had great anticipation and obviously used his athleticism to make a play. But another thing that I think is interesting about Hallman's story and something he talked about after the game. Yeah, he's kind of slight of build, particularly in relation to the kinds of corners that Wisconsin has begun recruiting the six, two, six, three kinds of corners. He's listed at five, 10, I thought it was interesting that he talked about the relationship that he formed with another former, uh, Wisconsin cornerback, um, Scott Starks, who played five seasons for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hallman is from Miami and Starks had a, a similar build. I think he was listed at five, nine, one seventy six. but it, it's such a, an interesting parallel because he said Starks followed him on Twitter in the spring and then Hallman followed him back and they struck up a communication. Starks went through something very similar as a freshman way back in 2001, also against Michigan state. He had a, just a brutal game where Michigan state really picked on him. Jeff Smoker threw an 87 yard touchdown pass to Charles Rogers on Starks. And there were like three or four other big plays that he gave up. And Starks ended up starting 48 games, was the 2004 team MVP, was a first team all Big Ten pick, and ended up being a third round NFL draft pick. So Hallman and Starks were able to talk about that moment and the way that Starks recovered. And I think that's been helpful for Hallman as well, because he said Starks had texted him after the Georgia Southern game, after the Purdue game. And at the time we talked to Hallman, he hadn't checked his phone. He just had a ton of messages, but he anticipated that Starks was going to text him again. So I think that's pretty cool and something that has helped Hallman here. What number did he wear? Number two. Number two. The funny thing about Scott Starks is that 2001 season was coming off of uh, the guy who wore two before him, which just happened to be Jamar Fletcher. And just the expectation, you put that number on and you're going to be the next great corner at Wisconsin. And it didn't happen right away for Scott Starks, but it eventually was a huge part of what they did defensively. Even think about the 2004 game. I know you said he was the MVP against Purdue. He's the one that picked up the fumble and ran it back for a touchdown uh, after a Kyle Orton got helicoptered. And um, so he had, he is, he's in the lore of Wisconsin football. He has that going for him and it's pretty cool for him to be able to reach out and 
uh, you know, still care about it enough to reach out to a kid who's may have gone through something similar. So that's, that's pretty good. And that, I think that speaks to maybe the the history of Wisconsin and, and guys buying into it and, and wanting to be around it, even when they're no longer around. I mean, that's been, it's been 20 years, Jesse, you know, since he's been here. So, or close to it, it's been almost 20 years since he's been here playing football. So that's pretty special. I I'm, I'm sure Ricardo loved that. Um, staying on the defensive side of the ball, our big question coming into the week or one of our big questions coming into the week was, can they stop the run? Rutgers came in a top 30 team in the country and running the ball. They averaging 195 yards a game. They led the big 10 and touchdown rushing touchdowns and Wisconsin did not allow them to get running game going at all. They finished with 64 yards leading rusher had eight carries for 16 yards. Um, I know we talked about this on temple and high I, I it's a question that, uh, I, I was unable to attend the game on Saturday, so I wasn't able to ask about it. But it, it, it Jake Cheney said uh, before the game or last last week, told a, a couple of reporters that there was going to be some schematic changes. They were going to go back to playing the run the way they used to, as opposed to the way they did uh, these first four games. I don't know if there was a change or not. Either way, they played it much, much better. If Rutgers can't run the ball, they can't win the game. Well, one thing that was a notable change is they played, and these are some advanced stats that I I have, 56 of the 64 defensive plays, they played with five defensive backs on the field. So they kind of got rid of that dollar defense, which they had played more than anything else. Yeah, about Uh, two, four, five. Beyond that, um, I mean, I look forward to talking to the defensive players about more specifics, but I thought they did a, a great job. And you're right, that was something that Rutgers had done extremely well. I'd mentioned they had six rushing touchdowns against Wagner. They had 15 coming into the game, which led the big 10. And there were very few big plays. The only one that I really comes to mind is when Gavin Wimsett got free. Uh, it was a 20 yard, 21 yard run inside the the 10 or the five. And that was two plays before he threw that pick that Hallman took back. So it was really an excellent job. And the, the team's leading rusher was averaging 90 plus yards per game. Like you said, at eight carries for 16 yards, they had to stop the run. They did it. And Wimsett just, even though he's much improved, the passing game was never going to be something that Rutgers was going to be able to beat Wisconsin with. No, and maybe that's the reason they were able to play the way they, they did, right? If you don't have a passing game that can that can beat you, why are you playing six DBs on right. the field consistently? And it's not like and Hunter Wohler is considered a DB, but I think the way that he's played is is certainly in line. He's He's big enough. He's strong enough. He's fast enough. He's he can play that that linebacker style that he has been playing through the first four games. But when a team can't pass the ball, there's no reason to do it. And quite honestly, coming up this weekend, I would be shocked if they would do something differently. I don't know about you. I don't know how you feel about that. But after <laughs> watching after watching what happened with Iowa and Purdue, Eric, I mean, it was almost all or nothing for uh for deacon hill he didn't complete a single pass to a wide receiver eric all had five catches the running back had one catch so they were able to run the ball early in that game and that was pretty much it i would i'm a big deacon hill guy you know this all the all of his 21 attempts only six of which were completed they got there in a hurry they didn't always go probably where he would have liked them to but i would i'd make him beat you and so i would be surprised if we see something different this this saturday that would be my expectation too. I, after watching that performance, I don't know how you can have a, a ton of confidence in Iowa's passing attack, and you've got to you've got to neutralize the strengths of Iowa. So, yeah, I think this this defense will be ready. It, it's it's kind of funny. I, I didn't listen to it, but someone, I was watching it, but I wasn't listening to it, kind of thing, on Peacock, and someone said that they kept on trying to give excuses as to why. Deacon Hill's passes were floating over guys' heads and like he was he was nervous or he was, you know, hyped up and he was he was just a little jittery. And I'm like, there's there's a dense in the McLean Center. And it wasn't because he was jittery or nervous. He's just not very accurate. Um, and especially if he's throwing it hard, it's either gonna be the prettiest ball or it's gonna sail 10 feet over the guy's head. So it's again, we'll see how it plays out on. Saturday and we'll talk about that game later in the week, but yikes. So uh offensively, a couple things stood out. Obviously, Tanner Mordecai's numbers 
were not great. Again, I mean, he only completed 54% of his passes. He only threw for, he didn't throw for 200 yards. He did throw a nice touchdown, but his feet continue to be a huge weapon. And I know you wrote about that for Monday on the athletic. He has 152 yards rushing. He's got four touchdowns. The, the average is 3.2, but obviously sacks are included in that. It feels like almost every time he takes off and runs, it's something good is happening. Um, I believe uh, he had 50 yards on Saturday. Five of uh, his runs went for first downs. Yeah, I think when you look at the numbers overall, you just look at the box score. It's a disappointment, right? He's They're five games into the season of this air raid offense. He's completing 64.2% of his passes, but he's got three touchdowns and three interceptions. The three touchdown passes rank 13th among Big Ten quarterbacks, 204.2 yards passing per game, which in most seasons at Wisconsin would be really, really good. And while it's not bad this season, you would have expected more. He ranks eighth in the Big Ten in that. In that, But it just it doesn't do justice to the value that he has brought to this offense and the ways that he can threaten a defense. And that running game and that ability is uh, it's really special. I, I mentioned the touchdown pass that he threw, which was to Tucker Ashcraft, the, the freshman tight end, his first career touchdown pass. But that was a 15-play drive, and a touchdown pass like that doesn't happen without some of those other plays that Tanner made. And two of them really stood out to me, the, the running plays. And it's it's not so much the scripted running plays, it's the impromptu runs. And the two that I was really paying attention to were, so there was a first and 10, Wisconsin had the ball at its own 48-yard line. The defensive lineman came through, Tanner Bordellini pulled around to block him, but it looked like Mordecai was going to take an eight-yard sack, an eight-yard loss. And he just made this little sidestep move, got free over the middle, and had a 14-yard run. And then a couple plays later, same situation where it looked like he was going to take a sack for an eight-yard loss, runs up the middle, gains nine yards. That is so frustrating for a defense. Um, and it it just, you, you mentioned the first downs. It turns what should be nothing or something awful into something great. And this season, Pro, pro Football Focus tracked his, his scrambles. So he has 19 scrambles, which it defines as undesigned runs by the quarterback for 117 yards and two touchdowns. There's only one other Big Ten quarterback that has more yards gained on scrambles, and that's Luke Altmyer at Illinois. I think I'd certainly rather take Tanner Mordecai right now. So one of the things Jackson Akers said after the game when I asked him about it was he said it amazes me how he can move out there. He's he's damn near a running back, and that's what it feels like. So I think it's uh, – starting to be more and more noticed, but this has been a skill set of Mordecai's game. And part of why Luke Fickle was so intrigued by him when they obviously played against each other the last couple of years in the American athletic conference, he said, some quarterbacks will, they'll just look downfield. They're not a running threat. Other guys immediately kind of tuck the ball and they're not necessarily looking downfield and Mordecai is able to do both. And that is just really difficult. It is again. I think at some point you're going to want to see the passing game, take a step. And yes. and be a bigger focus, or not even a bigger focus, just be more successful. Uh, the the lack of explosive plays in the passing game certainly a concern. I think they only had two of uh, fifteen or more yards on on Saturday. There haven't been enough of those. And again, I think as the weather gets worse, it's probably not going to get easier to throw the ball. But you know, Will Pauling had a nice day, eight catches for sixty eight yards, but not enough guys making plays on passes down the field. I think Tanner Mordecai's yeah. numbers probably look better if not for uh, a few drops here or there. And, you know, maybe a ball going off a face mask uh, on a, on a play down the field or, you know, a guy making, not making a play over the middle that he had made earlier in the year on a, on a deep crossing route. So those are things that, that have to be better if Wisconsin's going to be the explosive offense. that I think a lot of people thought it was going to be coming in that said, I think the other thing that stood out for me on offense was Ches Malusi's replacement. Yes. The guy that you mentioned there, Jackson Aker. He had 65 yards on 13 carries. He also had a couple catches, but you know, we talked about it going into the game. Ches Malusi was averaging what? 13 touches per game. I think it was. Yeah. Like 12.8 carries a game. Yeah. And we didn't know exactly how many carries the, the next guy would get. Well, Jackson Air got 13. He had 65 yards, as I said. Took his first carry for eight yards. Later had uh, 33 yards on four touches on a second quarter drive that ended in a Braylon Allen fumble. Um, 
And then maybe his most impressive run was where he, uh, he stiffed armed a guy in the backfield and kind of took him for a ride for another first down. I think uh, he had four first downs on 13 carries. It was a really impressive first, I guess, a second first impression with Jackson Acre because we've seen him a little bit, but in in this role, I thought very impressive. Tanner Mordecai said after the game that he he had no doubt that this is the kind of performance that Acre was going to put together because he's been able to see it in practice. And I think that was part of the intrigue here is we hadn't really had a chance to see a ton of him at running back. He had been battling an injury in the spring. And so Cade Iacomelli got a lot of touches. And I think was battling some type of injury in the fall, if I'm not mistaken. Um, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I just, um, but he was ready for this opportunity. And I think he's got a really nice blend of physicality and playmaking ability. It was funny because he said after the game that he and Braylon were talking to Phil Longo and he said, have you ever had, like they were joking, have you ever had two power running backs in the air raid? And Longo said, no. Uh, but I think this can work at Wisconsin because because of the versatility there. And we know about the different position changes that he made. I look at, there's a play, he caught a a six yard pass in the left flat, and then he lowered his shoulder and knocked over one of Rutgers linebackers. So the ability to do that is, is really special. And maybe, I mean, he had a 14 yard run to set up a first and goal, but Braylon Allen ended up losing a fumble. So he just did so many good things, and that's the kind of game where you're showing not just the coaching staff but everybody else why you deserve to be out there. So there's there's no way to replace everything that Ches Malusi provided, but they've got a good one in Jackson Aker who, to me, you know, you, you can use the word serviceable, and I think that doesn't do justice to the talent and what and what Jackson can do. It's, it's, it's beyond that. It's always a positive when you're rushing or you're, so you say, you're receiving yardage. You have 14 yards and 20 that came after the catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, yes. Um, all right. So those that that was some of the positive stuff. Is there anything else positive wise that you wanted to hit on before we, we touch on some of the stuff that didn't go uh, the way that Wisconsin wanted it to? Well, I think we should mention Braylon because we knew he was going to have to shoulder more of the load. He had been averaging 13 carries a game. He ended up with 21 rushing attempts for 100 yards and a touchdown. Now, some of those rushing attempts... They came on that last drive where I think in an ideal world, Wisconsin probably would have kept him in that 16 to 18 range, but he stepped up. He did his job. I thought he responded really well from that fumble, which certainly not ideal. You're, you're about to score a touchdown and you give it away. And there was in halfway through the second quarter, which I know we'll get to some of the negatives. It's only three to nothing. And it's like, what, what is going on here? But, that's what happens when you fumble, but he was able to have an 18 yard touchdown run after. So I think he did some really good things. The fumble, notwithstanding. Yeah. I mean, it was a good bounce back run. I mean, he broke four tackles on it to get in the end zone. It was, I thought that was obviously impressive. I, the, I was going to talk about the turnovers. Certainly, yeah. you know, it cost him a touch likely cost him a touchdown with Braylon's fumble there on the, uh, on the five yard line. And then Wisconsin trying to run the clock out up 24 to six at the time. And Hayden Rucci has the catch and the run and a little, you know, he's trying to fight for extra yardage. I'm not sure if he knew he had the first down or not. It was probably going to be close, but he's fighting for extra yardage. The guy comes over and knocks a loose and obviously the score much closer than it probably needed to be. I mean, it was 24 to six Wisconsin, you know, you win by, you win by 18, you cover. And um, that didn't happen. Yeah. Let's that. just call so, it like it is backdoor cover. I texted you as soon as Rucci fumbled the ball. Like man, Rutgers is about to score a touchdown here and get that backdoor cover. Cause it ended up being like 13 points was the spread. Yeah. We had, we had a tough, we had a tough end of the week or I to say tough end of the first stretch of games. Cause Ohio state as well did not look like they were going to get, um, did not look like they were going to cover or just, uh, yeah. And then they ended up not covering, but pushing it was, wasn't great. And then Texas, obviously, too. We've, well, I picked great. Oklahoma, so I feel better about it. Yeah. <clears throat> Whatever. Um, the some, Something else uh, that uh, stood out for me, and apparently it stood out for a lot of fans because I got a ton of questions about it. Yeah. Did I did I jinx Tanner Bordellini <laughs> on uh, Temple and Isle print last week? Did people- or two weeks ago? Did- did people ask you if you did? Yeah. yeah, no, they're like, put a little bit of like a bug in his ear or something in his ear, like not that he's thinking about it. They were, it was an adventurous day, I think, 
for Tanner Mordecai and the snapping. I think what my thing was back then, because people were talking about it, like the, the snaps are slow. And what Tanner said was, you know, he's never been, they've never said anything to him about the speed of it. And maybe we should, I mean, should have asked, well, have they said to you about anything else? But before Saturday, they hadn't really been all over the place. You know, yeah. there was, there was the one that Tanner had to grab at the goal line and take in for a touchdown thing. That was Georgia Southern. But for the most part, they hadn't been all over the place. Some of them have been, had been slow, but Saturday was, was kind of all over the place. Yeah. There's, there's two snaps that, come to mind right now i know there are a few more but i wrote about this in my instant takeaways there was a a shotgun snap it was just really slow to get to mordecai and mordecai ended up carrying it for a four-yard gain but then even on braylon's 18-yard touchdown run mordecai he was kind of forced to leap in the air to catch the ball and it was off target and i know that there were a couple others like that so it's a unique situation that wisconsin is in because as we saw with the Injury reports that the Big Ten now puts out two hours before kickoff. Jake Renfro no longer listed as questionable. Um, he was on the sideline. He was in uniform, but he didn't get into the game. And and we know that Luke Fickle has now said a couple times that Renfro is considered a viable option. I think it's just, you know, I don't know what Wisconsin does here. Um, it, it, it's a, it would be a significant shift to just put somebody else in at center and then you're shuffling the entire line but and and maybe if the game was a little bit less close they could have got Renfro some snaps with the reserves I'm not sure but um I don't know exactly what Wisconsin does here but I, I'd like to think that it's not your fault that uh that Bordellini had any snapping issues these guys are are big time division one athletes and they're playing in front of 80,000 fans so there's a lot more going on in the game I got about four or five people asking me that so um <laughs> Thanks Should we for- mention what he said, by the way, on Temple and Halpern? I actually used it in the yeah, go in ahead the, uh, in the takeaways. But so you you had asked him about the slow snaps, and and this is what Tanner told us on the show. He said, "I think in the spring, I had a lot more speed on it. So in the summer, just kind of taking some of the pace off and improving where the ball placement was was a big emphasis." And then he said, "What you were referencing, no one really." told me or has brought it to my attention that it's been an issue for offense. So until that is an issue for an offense, it'll probably stay. So that was in reference to the pace though, not the accuracy. Yeah. We'll see again. It's, uh, it's, it's obviously pretty important part of the offense. And for the most part this year, they have not been an issue in terms of where they've been the speed again, at, as he admitted, he slowed it down. So to make sure that it was where it needed to be. And, um, just, yeah, tough day, tough day. A couple other things I wanted to note. Um, Hunter Wooler leads him in tackles again. He, he had nine, so he's got 50 through the first five games. It's leaving him on track for 130. I don't know if he gets to 130, but if he does, I mean, assuming they play in a bowl game, and assuming, I mean, I guess if they win, if they make the Big Ten Championship game, it could be 14. Um, but that 130 would be the most by a Wisconsin safety since 1991. Uh, when Reggie Holt had uh, 140 something, I think it was. Either way, it's uh, yeah. what? Well, that was probably because every opponent was getting like 14 yard gains, and Wisconsin <laughs> still wasn't very good. So it's even more impressive what Wooler was <laughs> is doing this year. It is. It definitely is. Uh, any issue with Nathaniel Vacos then throwing him out there for a 50 was a 53 yarder? Oh, zero issue. The dude was had been eight for eight to that point. I mean, he'd done everything to lead you to believe that he was going to make that kick. And frankly, if they got another opportunity, I think they do it again. He has that leg strength and that type of accuracy. And you can't expect a kicker to be 100% for an entire season, although certainly you would like that. You would love that. Wisconsin now 20 for 21 in the red zone this year after going two for three. The fumble ruined their perfect season. Uh, Allen's fumble deep there in Rutgers territory ruined their uh, perfect season in terms of red zone success. So there's that. Uh, Muajong Meta played just one snap against Purdue, was more involved, I would say, on Saturday. Still didn't start, but he got more involved finishing with two tackles. Any takeaway from uh, Muma's game? Or is this kind of what we're going to be expecting to see? It's a Jake Cheney and Jordan Turner show. That's kind of my takeaway at this point after the last week and what we've heard. It Honestly, Zach, it just feels like they like Jake Cheney better at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think there's 
anybody looking for some nefarious storyline here or something would probably be disappointed. That's just kind of what it strikes me as. Now I'm a little surprised that there isn't more of a rotation or that Jordan Turner is playing as much as he is, but Muma isn't. But I feel like this is the direction that things appear to be headed. Uh, Jonas Taclona got, yeah. some, got some work on the defensive side of the ball. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think that's his, his first action on the defensive side. Maybe he, played special, maybe he played special teams, but I thought actually playing defense, it was his first time. Those were his first defensive snaps. I think he'd gotten a handful of special teams reps, but what it also meant was it was the first time Ricardo Holman finally got to watch a, some snaps from the sideline. He had played every defensive snap through the first four games, and it wasn't until late. And I know that I think Nizir Forkurin got a little banged up. And so he came out and ended up being, I think, Smith and Duclon on the outside. But I think that's really important. I, I mean, to expect a corner to play every single snap over the course of a season, Ricardo Hallman's been really good. But you want to get a true freshman some reps. And this is also, I think, what they're looking at. Well, I don't know. I don't know if they would. I have to go back and look at how many games Duclona has played. You can obviously three special teams. I think that was four. Yeah, so it sort of looks like he's going to – well, we'll see. I don't know. Well, but that's I, what they – I mean, that's what he said. That's what Fickle said. He was not going to be a guy that they were going to look to keep to four games. Yeah, so so you might as well get him the defensive snaps when you can. Because yeah. he was – he had some really good moments in the spring and the fall as well. I was really yeah. impressed. First play, they went right at him. Almost the exact same play that uh, Nizier Forkering got hurt on. They went yep. they went right at him. So um, Wisconsin's kickoff specialist put the ball out of bounds for a fourth time in five games. He's listed as questionable on the injury report, if I'm not mistaken. He was. So I don't know what that. You know, I don't know don't... how. I don't know how. You, look, if your job is to be a kickoff specialist and you do nothing else for the team, that's like that's your only thing. You got to be able to do it without putting the ball out of the bounds. I mean, it's just it's just I don't understand that at all. And if he's not healthy, then don't put him out there. Uh, that, yeah. I mean, that that is just so I mean. It's a big field, man. It's a big field. There's a there's a lot of area to put it in that you don't have to put it out of bounds. Once or twice, okay, but four times in five games, it's a real, real tough, real, real tough um, start to the season for Jack Van Dyke. But, yes. And question would Nathaniel Vakos, then do you make him the guy? And I think it's you want to save him for what he's really good at, but you can't have this happen basically once again that is you're giving up so much field position and this is going to make a big difference here in the next seven weeks so there was a guy that was not on the fall camp roster that had that role last year's i i don't even know if gavin lom is still on the team is he i feel like i have to look at <laughs> like he's still on the roster but like i don't it's he was a guy that handled it last year for the most part because jack van dyke was hurt so much but uh, it feels weird that you're continuing to give the guy opportunities when it's very, very clear at this point that maybe he, maybe, maybe he shouldn't be. Um, I don't know. Either way, maybe Gavin Lom's not healthy. We haven't seen him. Haven't seen him in quite some time. So probably isn't uh, one other thing. Wisconsin becomes the third team to reach 400 big 10 wins. Is it a little surprising that it, it's Wisconsin after Michigan, obviously Michigan, and Ohio state, the top two Wisconsin at 400 of all the other teams in this conference to get to 400 neck, the, the third fastest. That's kind of eye opening for me. Is that big 10 conference wins? Yeah. Well, if Penn state it, had been a founding member, they'd be there. <laughs> right. Sure. But like they, of all the, I mean, again, it's not, I mean, Wisconsin's had a lot of success, especially the last 30 years, but that's a, uh, that that's noteworthy to me. Noteworthy to me. And uh, Penn State was not a founding member. They didn't come to the conference until what was it nineteen ninety two, ninety three? So yeah, uh, it, Big Ten wins. Either way, congratulations to Wisconsin for for hitting that milestone. All right, let's get into uh, some of our Twitter questions here. We'll start with our guy Vitaly Pesetsky. He says, "What would this team look like the last two years with Mordecai at quarterback? He's safe, capable, competent. He's a pro college quarterback. Not sure if he's an actual NFL quarterback though." What would they look like? Well, they'd be better. I guess <laughs> I'd wonder if they would have avoided the uh, craptastic show that was last season. I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't. 
I don't think Graham was bad last season. He had career numbers to that point. I realize he hadn't been fantastic the previous year, but you know, he had 19 touchdowns, 10 picks, but it's also like Tanner Mordecai's playing in an air raid offense. So it's just, it's a hypothetical that's impossible because we what are you going to bring Tanner Mordecai in and plug him into a pro style offense? Um, I, they they would have been better, but this team had a lot of issues that went beyond that. Graham Mertz playing quite well down for Florida, I think. Yes, he's he's completing 80% of his passes. He's got nine touchdowns and two picks. So, and he's, I mean, his, his yards per completion is the highest it's been. So maybe there was something to just being in the right system or having the right people around him. And we don't need to relitigate that, but Florida seems to be a good match for him. You mentioned the air raid offense. Steve's wondering, are we ever going to see the Phil Longo air raid offense this year or just the same old Wisconsin offense? I I mean, I I think it's an evolution and I think we'll see it. I think what we've seen are glimpses of it. And to your point previously, if if some guys could hang onto the ball, the numbers would be a lot different. But I, I mean, we've seen plenty of it just not the whole package I don't think it doesn't feel like to me but the other thing is I also think there's look like we've said before it's it's not the the true air raid of the Mike Leach it's it's that balance you're going to see a lot of rushing attack you're going to see a lot of short passes passes into the flat underneath so that's part of this offense as well I would agree um John says, can we all remember not to overreact in the offseason when wide receivers look good in practice? It happens every season, but never translates to games. <laughs> it does happen every season, but uh, I think we're trying to report on what we see. And if guys are consistently making big plays, you think it's going to mean something. I, I The talent is still there. I mean, the targets haven't necessarily been there consistently. And you've seen some play like Bryson Green had a, a big catch early didn't I don't know the CJ Williams was targeted really um I don't know I mean that that to me is I think is everything offensively that's the thing that you'd say man like this does not align with with what I thought it was going to be right uh Will Paul in 11 targets nobody else well Hayden Rucci had six nobody else had more than three and you're right CJ Williams was not targeted so and for some reason, they don't have Skylar Bell on here as being targeted. But didn't he have that one go off his helmet down the field? I can't remember, to be honest. Again, I, I was watching the game on my computer on the, so I was and did not have the sound on. So I can't be sure on that. I, I thought it was. Either way, it doesn't really matter. He's had opportunities to catch the ball down the field, and he hasn't done it to this point. He, um, all right. Next one here, Tim want, well, yeah, Tim wants to know thoughts on Peacock. I had to take my puppy to training at half. So I recorded it, just found out they don't have a fast forward function. So I had to hit the 10 skip, 10 second skip button, 540 times. Then they make you watch commercials, even though it's recorded Bush league. Sh- <clears throat> ish, now, I believe yes. Bush league ish. Yeah. Uh, so you had to watch the game back on it. So you're kind of going through his same same thing. How was it trying to watch the game back? I am 1 million percent in agreement with Tim and everybody else who has this complaint. You and I both have YouTube TV. YouTube TV is fantastic. I'm not a paid sponsor for YouTube TV. I just like being able to find the plays that I need to play and watch the game. It's absolutely ridiculous that if you, first of all, yes, you have to go backwards and forwards 10 seconds at a time. So like, inside baseball i'm trying to write this tanner mordecai story that ran on monday and i'm looking specifically for these running plays and you know who's coming off the edge i'm trying to get the numbers and you have to keep going back and forth and then there are these certain moments where no matter what they play 60 seconds of commercials it's it's horrible i'm 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 just gonna be real like do better peacock i know you gotta (laughs) sell ads but like it shouldn't be this difficult to try to watch and especially re-watch a game in the internet era yeah, I did not have to go through that because I watched it live. I actually kind of enjoyed the 10-second rewind live, live. And again, I didn't watch it on my TV. I understand that that may have been a little bit different for people, but being able to go back and like rewind without having to rewind. And I again, absolutely every streaming app in the world has that, but that was okay for me. But trying to go forward, 
if you're trying to watch it back, very, very difficult not and far from ideal. So if that, I mean, that's obviously a huge complaint, especially if you're not watching it live. So there will be, I mean, as of now, there's no other football games on there, but obviously the basketball games will be on there and f- at least five basketball games. And we'll have to deal with this uh, again. Uh, Keith, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of people in on this uh, snap thing. What else we got? Uh, Mark says, did Aker look better than expected with increased snaps? Watching from the stands, he seemed to add a nice combination of shiftiness and power. Appears to have lost some weight switching from fullback to tailback. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. And and uh, this is all relative to what your expectation level is. But when he got the ball, he made positive things happen. And like I said, I think sometimes there's um, a perception that a reserve who hasn't really played will come in and be, I use the word serviceable and like, he was making plays and he was a difference maker in the touches that he got. So I think if you're a Badgers fan, you've got to feel good about what they have that Braylon could get a break in this offense can still be really productive. I would agree. Uh, Rob follows up says has Allen who's been good, not great shown enough that the NFL would make him a round two pick runs high, seems indecisive too often has some pass pro misses often banged up. Could he be stuck coming back or leave regardless of draft projection to save mileage on his body? That's a good question. And one I don't have an answer for, and this is always really hard for, I feel like someone in my position to answer because I'm, I'm not an NFL draft evaluator or a scout for the pros. And I think it's just, it's you. I mean, Jonathan Taylor was a second round pick, right? Yes. Like, (laughs) The, one of the best running backs in the history of college football. It's just really hard, I think, as a running back to be a high draft pick. But I know that's been the plan all along. Braylon's been very open about it. If things And so is Luke Fickle. If things go the way that he hopes that, that he would leave, I, I feel like, and this is just gut instinct, I would be surprised if he came back for another season because I think there's kind of a mindset of you're going in to, and this is going to be it. But He's got to continue to show it. And I do think that the, the injury history, while it's not Braylon's fault, would have to be a concern and um, just making sure he can be an all around player. Tony wants me to do an overreaction or no here on, on this one. It's dealing with the running backs. Aker looks yeah. very smooth through the hole, can make a cut and will be the starting running back before the end of the season as an overreaction or no overreaction. <laughs> as long as Braylon's healthy, <laughs> he's the starter and maybe people just get, used to seeing something Braylon's had so many good games, good moments in two and a half seasons. Like he's still that dude. He still ran for a hundred yards and scored a touchdown. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Kurt says, do we still think the offense, mostly the passive game clicks, or is this just what they are? Gosh, this is, I, I, I'm not ready to say this is what they are because of all the opportunities they've left out there. It's not, I feel like the last few years, you could say the offense, uh, whether it was just ineptitude, a lack of uh, certainly just terrible execution, it was never going to get there. And this offense, I think, can get there. I go, Look at the first drive, and you sort of alluded to this. How many balls did Tanner Mordecai put out there that could have been caught and maybe should have been caught? I know he threw a 126-mile-an-hour fastball underneath. I think it was to Hayden Rucci. Uh, that was incomplete and he had one that went off Jim Ray DK's hands I know there were defensive backs there in, in coverage but it's the I same think play it's the same play made against Buffalo yeah so there's been so what I'm saying yeah right so there's so many opportunities that are out there and so no I'm not willing to say this is what this passing offense is but the more they these games stack up the harder it is to believe that it's going to happen I just I think it is going to happen if that makes sense I think these kind of go hand in hand with that. Uh, Mike says in other games, it seems receivers are running wide open, except for Pauline. There's always a DB in tight coverage against Wisconsin. Did we overrate the receiver room? Hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, Chimray was the number one receiver last year. Uh, like Skylar Bell made a ton of plays. I don't think Skylar is. He's had some good moments. I mean, obviously the touchdown catch against Washington State was was great, but when the ball is thrown your way and you're open, you got to be able to come up with a catch. I think to me, it was I thought Bryson Green and 
CJ Williams would be more consistent playmakers, have more targets. Um, but I was asked this for a mailbag, actually. I want to say might have been last week about specifically with Bryson Green. And I went back and looked at because he had been targeted like the second most times among the wide receivers and yet had caught less than 50% of those targets. He's been open. I don't think it's a matter of an inability to create separation specifically with him. Cause I went and looked at some of the plays. It was Tanner was just a shade off. Like think of that. Was it the fourth down play against Washington state where it kind of bounced off? It was just a little too far out in front for him to make the play. There've been a lot of those kinds of examples. So it's, it's been a mixture of both. Yeah. The, the deep post that had he put it on him would have been right. a touchdown. And they would have taken the lead at that point. Yeah, and, there was there it, was that one. It. Right. There was that one. And then I, I think it was Washington State already led 31-22. But they, yeah, there was another play where Tanner put the ball out there and it was just slightly off. So I'm not I, I don't I know this comes up a lot. I don't think it's a matter of an inability to create separation. I think there are multiple issues at play where, you know, when, when Tanner does put it on somebody, they might drop it. And when somebody's got some space, it's just a little off target. And those are the things they've got to clean up. Frank mentioned the wide receivers, but he also says, holy balls, is the pass rush non-existent? Almost 40-plus <laughs> pass attempts and one sack. I believe they got credited with, yeah, with one sack. He said that it wasn't even a sack because it wasn't really a passing play. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the pressures the, and the quarterback hurries were – not uh, exactly a ton there. I thought that they, they did affect some throws, but they were credited with three quarterback hurries. Now, those quarterback hurries, we found this out at Washington State, uh, or after the, uh, I should say, after the opener, that they only count quarterback hurries if the pass is complete. Incomplete. Excuse me, incomplete. They only count if it's incomplete. They were credited with three quarterback hurries. Now, I know we had this conversation after the opener and how many credit, how many hurries they actually had pro football focus versus what Wisconsin credits them. But, and I don't know what the pro football focus numbers look like after the other day, but uh, the raw numbers here in front of me say that, that there's something to that. Yeah, I'm assuming you're, I'm assuming you're going to go look that up. So I will continue to, I, got to. <laughs> uh, I will continue to stall here. But you know who had a good game? I thought CJ Getz had a good game. He he yep. certainly. I mean, he had the he had the one sack. Felt like he was around Wimsett uh, a good bit. I think it's also worth noting that Rutgers was the best pass blocking team coming into the game. I think they were allowing less than two sacks per game coming in. It was it's a really good um, it's a it's a really good offensive line. And Wisconsin going in there has been after the quarterback quite a bit this year. They had more sacks through the first four games this year than they did through the first first four games last year. And again, sacks are not the end-all, be-all. That it's not how a lot of defenses or a lot of coaches grade their players. Hurries play a role. Pressures play a role. But yeah, sack-wise, it wasn't uh, good enough on Saturday. Yeah, well, like Fickle had said before, and we've, we've talked about this, that he has called sacks the most overrated stat, and he looks at disruptions. And I mean, that's noteworthy, because even when I was talking to James Thompson Jr. a couple of weeks ago for a story about him, you think of the uh, the play where he got his hand up, and then CJ gets picked off the pass. This was a couple of weeks ago. He said, if I'd have gotten a sack, we don't have that turnover. Obviously, you'd love the sack. But uh, I'm looking at the, the defensive grades from Pro Football Focus, specifically for the Rutgers game, and it lists Wisconsin as having eight hurries, the only one who had more than one was James Thompson. He had three. Uh, again, that's not the official stats and not how Wisconsin credits hurries, but that's what pro football focus says. One thing that I think is interesting in this conversation, though, is uh, honestly, and I don't know how you feel, Zach. I, f I feel like this is what happened when you, you don't have an NFL guy coming off the edge and think we've all been spoiled by the ridiculous run that Wisconsin has had go back over the last decade of all those players who were NFL draft picks, or if they weren't drafted, they found a way to make a name anyway in the pros. They don't have that this year. And I think this is kind of what happens again. I mean, they, they had it last year and they had more, they had more sacks through four games this year than they did last year. So I, I think it's the idea that one guy isn't doing it. I mean, it's also the, the fact that coming into this year or this this week, James Thompson Jr. was their leading sacker. 
you're not expecting a defensive lineman to lead. You're expecting an often an outside linebacker, an inside linebacker to lead you. And that's maybe why it doesn't stand out as much, but the offense, I mean, it needs to be better than it was on Saturday, but I don't know if it was as bad as maybe it appeared. I don't know. It's tough. Um, final one here. Fickle effects us. Keep your head on a swivel when Iowa comes to town. A bounce pass from Deacon might sideline someone for the season. Now, this is in reference to a, a young man who was so dedicated to the job and so dedicated to keeping his camera on the ball, he missed it. The ball hit him in the balls. Uh, I don't know if you saw this or not, Jesse. But, no, I didn't. Oh you, oh, you seriously didn't see it? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, go If you go to my Twitter, you can you can see it. Either way, his right. name his name was uh, Ethan Beacon. Uh, excuse me, Ethan Bacon, and he got absolutely drilled. Gavin Wimsett put a bounce pass right into the sideline late in that game, and he took it right to the chops, or uh, not to right to the tops, right to the right to the uh, private areas below your stomach, groin area. Took it right to it, and he posted the. He actually ended up posting the video of of his view, and he was locked in on the ball right until it hit him. So. Keep your head on a swivel. If you're going to be on the sideline, obviously we won't be. They don't allow reporters like us on the sideline during games. But um, it was <laughs> it was tough. It was it was a tough look. He went down. He crumpled. He crumpled. It was not a great Thursday or a late Saturday afternoon for Mister Bacon from the uh, Big Ten Network. I think he works for Wisconsin on BTN. So I, I've got to I've got to mention since we're. <laughs> Since we're talking about this, I sent this to you. I thought this was a hilarious opening paragraph from a story oh. with with Deacon Hill. I, I could have saved it for the next show, but what the hell? We're 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 on this topic about you know you might have to watch yourself. Uh, so this is from Adam Jacoby of Iowa's Rival Site. This, this is what he wrote about Deacon Hill's performance. He said, "At times Saturday, Iowa quarterback Deacon Hill resembled Ricky Vaughn from Major League." prior to Vaughn's eye exam. And then he <laughs> talked about how he started the game one for 10 for 13 yards with a pick. And many of those misses were not particularly close. Fantastic lead. Thank you for that. Making me laugh, Adam, and not wrong. It was tough. It was a tough watch. It was a tough, tough watch. Because there were guys open and he just sailing it out. Again, I if you stop Eric All, I don't know what they do offensively through the air. Because he's the, the wide receiver's for whatever reason, they haven't targeted him a ton to begin with. Even when Cade McNamara was out there where they weren't targeting the wide receivers very much. I think they had 35 targets, the wide receivers through their first four games or something like that. It was just bad. So we'll see. Looking forward to seeing Deacon. Uh, he may, you know, he's the one quarterback maybe in the entire big 10 that could probably fire a ball right into the press box if he wanted to. So I'm going to, I will probably keep a he- my, my head on a swivel next Saturday, but we'll talk about that game coming up here. A little bit later this week. Anything else you wanted to hit on before we go, Jesse? I think we covered it. All right. We will uh, be back on Wednesday. Thank you very much, Jesse. Thanks, Zach. All right. There he is. Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.